back to another episode of the OzDefi Community Podcast where we get to chat with different members of the community, how they got here and what they're working on. My name is Shahira, I'm co-founder of Finch and venture partner at Scalata Ventures and today I'm joined by the amazing Nick Bishop, co-founder of OzDefi itself and the all-star team that's bringing so much great energy and momentum to the community. Nick is also co-founder of Not Centralized, one of Australia's first Web3 venture studios, which I'm especially excited to learn more about today. Welcome, Nick. Hello. Great to be here. Thanks. Thank you. Nick, I'd love to kick off with a quick intro. Uh, you're a tribe by guy. You've, you've got yourself a CFA, career in corporate finance, capital advisory. Tell us about your journey into Web3 and DeFi, aka the dark side, and perhaps what the aha moment was, was for you. Yeah, look, I, it's interesting what 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 people would regard as the dark or the light side these days. And I, I have to say, if you asked me, I, I think I think I'd I, I think I'd probably say <laughs> the, the new stuff I'm doing seems a bit lighter to me. But anyway, so my um, my uh, first foray into DeFi was in 2017. Uh, I was part of a team managing um, some uh, uh, large global debt funds. They were actually listed. Uh, listed 1948 funds in the US. Um, and that means that they are technically companies, but the company is really a shell wrapped around a, 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 an investment fund and they're listed on, on the US exchanges. So they're, they're like LICs here in Australia, or LICs. Um, now, I was part of the management team there and I was asked by the board to write a paper on Bitcoin because the board were interested to think about, well, does Bitcoin slash any other coin present a threat to traditional fixed income markets or traditional debt markets, mm. um, you know, traditional currency markets, because if so, we absolutely need to be aware of that as, as a board, um, you know, uh, who's presiding over a, a, uh, um, a long-term debt fund. So I did, I did that. I, I, I wrote the paper. I had to sort of dive around and do a bunch of research on, on, um, on proof of work uh, blockchains and on that, that sort of cryptographic uh, proof process which is really interesting i also set up my it was pathetic but i set up my little um i set up my little laptop in the hotel because the board meetings were down in miami complete waste of shareholders money but whatever uh, i was happy to go on the trip um so I, I set my laptop up in the in the in my hotel room in miami just to do a bit of mining for um for bitcoin for a day just to use the power there obviously with the pathetic lack of hash power from a little macbook air i think mm -hmm. it was at the time no, like you know nothing was happening but it was really interesting and I, I i got to monitor like how it's progressing through different kind of um attempts at, at, at block validation and obviously all those attempts failed but but that was really interesting and i did find this whole what what was a bit of an aha moment to me i think was this this uh completely borderless lack of a single um, almost the lack of a single central bank, if you see what I mean. So, you know, what is the central bank of Bitcoin and what is the central bank of lots of um, cryptocurrencies? It's a it's a computer program, really. It's a protocol, which I thought was really genuinely fascinating. You know, programmatic uh, supply constraints, uh, you know, preordained halving. Yeah, I just thought it was really interesting from that um, from that perspective. But I was very cynical on the idea of, well, what can this really be worth? Because that's only really a product of how big is the ecosystem or what's using it. So I was a, a very, very interested, but admittedly cynical TradFi guy. One of the one of the young uh, investment investment analysts in my team 
had some Bitcoin at the time. I think he had two Bitcoin at the time. And this was in late 2017. And I remember looking at the parabolic price chart action. Mm. If anyone can remember that, it was really was um, classic parabolic price action up to like 24,000 US or something like that. And I remember saying to him, dude, you've got 50,000 US worth of Bitcoin there. Whenever I see, I said, I don't know a huge amount about the technology, but whenever I see price action like that, regardless of the asset class, my view is it's not sustainable. So I said, I think you should sell. And he said, well, I think you're wrong. Um, uh, so for a while there, I was feeling quite smug because obviously then we had in 2018, we had a very, very significant price collapse. And so, I, you know, I thought that I was some kind of savant at that point. And, uh, but uh, obviously uh, that proved to be, um, that proved to be uh, not the case. And, and in any event, to me, it's not about the valuation. It's more about the technology and it's more about what white space or what genuinely new things can you do with this technology that you just couldn't do before. So that's why I find it really interesting. Anyway, so from that point, um, 2017 on, the next time that we were more intimately involved was in 2020 when my capital advisory um, uh, business was doing a capital raise for an NFT project, a, a 3D fashion garment NFT project. Um, and, uh, and, and in effect, then we had to kind of dive in as co-founders for all intents mm -hmm. and purposes. And, and that was really interesting. We had to get our hands dirty with then, you know, okay, what rights do you have as an NFT holder? Uh, what kind of IP transfer might there be? What do you actually own? Mm -hmm. uh, what do you not own? You know, we were having to negotiate with, uh, with the general councils of some very big global fashion brands at the mm -hmm. time on, on what the legals look like for that project. So that was really interesting. Um, and, you know, we managed to get uh, a, a, a pretty compelling term sheet, signed term sheet from a, from a global crypto fund manager. So that was a really interesting experience. And then, you know, since then, we've done a, a number of different capital raises for and um, certainly attempted capital raises. We've obviously closed a lot less than we've attempted. That's the nature of, <laughs> the nature of this space. Mm -hmm. uh, but we've closed a few raises in that space, either for enterprise blockchain or for, um, uh, uh, you know, fully um fully sort of cryptographic cyber security layers um and then obviously there's all the, the really interesting work with with Oz DeFi and not centralized as well so um and look and i i i think we're probably one of the few advisory groups that's been paid 100 percent in crypto for for an advisory mandate and it wasn't a major currency either it was in synthetic so uh, it was a you know it wasn't like we just paid in stables or something it was a proper mm -hmm. sort of um a proper more degen defi um sort of currency anyway so that's that's a little bit of uh, me and my background yeah fantastic um it must be really interesting to apply some of the you know traditional finance and maybe that's for a different conversation but some of your traditional finance sort of principles and how transferable they they are and how much kind of un unlearning and unpacking you need to do before you find sort of a, a new value proposition which kind of leads us nicely to to not centralized as a venture studio it sounds like it's a culmination of your experience and, and different capabilities and from what i understand um it's it's yourself and a small team but you've also got almost like a collective um of these extended web3 capabilities uh tell us more about that what's what's the mission of not centralized uh what are you looking to achieve or you know how, how do you actually support projects and, and founders yeah look so it's uh there's, there's there's three principles in not centralized myself mark and arturo and then underneath that umbrella we've got a range of professional services providers that we can draw on um who are keen to work with us and keen to to you know, essentially add value to any projects that come into not centralized. So think of us as sort of um, a mixture of an agent or a, 
um, you know, a sort of um, a project manager. Uh, that that's what we're doing where we can do the work ourselves we'll do the work ourselves where we can't do the work ourselves we'll bring in partners uh, and we will face the client so that we they have that one touch point so that it's not uh, you know a pain to manage so we can cover everything from you know sort of legal advice tax advice um, we can have a look at tokenomics we can have a look at you know, if people need contract resources for development um, either blockchain devs or you know UX UI kind of full stack Dev resource we we can we can source from our partner networks. Um, we can also look at community management uh, and engagement PR um, and uh, and then broader commercialization as well as capital raising, which is obviously where you know where I come in and where my other business Bishop McFan comes in on the capital raising side. So really, the idea is if people come to us with a project and say, okay, there's twelve things I need to do with this project. I've covered off eight of them. I need these four. Can you help mm. me with these four? Then we can say yes, we can do that, and it'll be this person doing number one, and this person doing number two, and then these two people doing number three and four. Here's what an engagement looks like. Um, let Let's get you going. So mm. we're really trying to plug gaps for people um, without them having to take on lots of FTE in, in effect, mm. because obviously. Whenever you're taking on FTE, it's just a it's, it's a huge commitment, um, uh, and we want to provide that modularity that people can dial up and dial down yeah. at different phases, but still get themselves going. Um, yeah. So trying to trying to be a, a node, if you like. Mm. And are you um, finding sort of projects at certain stages requiring the support earlier stage or even later stage? What are you seeing in the market? Yeah, it's a real variety. I think the earlier the project goes generally the more likely it is that they're first and foremost looking for capital which mm -hmm. is understandable because they're very early but uh, but also it's more likely that, that we can really test people's assumptions around well what kind of legal and tax and regulatory hurdles should you have jumped over by this stage mm -hmm. and have you even thought of those so we were talking to a fascinating group a few weeks ago who shall remain nameless but um they, they were building a little um, uh, sort of a managed investment scheme DAO type of structure for, mm. for, young, for younger investors, um, trad, TradFi assets as well as some crypto assets and, you know, really keen founders, you know, very bright, a, a somewhat dispersed team. I think there's someone, you know, in, in Southeast Asia and, and a couple in Australia. But we really did step out to them. And this is where my old TradFi hat came back in. As soon as I saw what they were planning to do straight away, I said, right, well, you need an AFSL for that mm -hmm. uh, because there's, there's no way you're not providing a financial service. Yeah. So have you have you thought about that? Do you know what's involved? Oh, no, we hadn't. Uh, but when, you know, but some of us aren't based in Australia. What if we domicile the entity outside of Australia? Yeah, but you're still providing a service to Australians. Mm -hmm. So you still need to be licensed to be able to do mm -hmm. that. Or if, or, or if it's a grey area, the likelihood is that in the future, you certainly will need to be licensed. So mm -hmm. please, please think about that and talk to us. So and we're like, we, gee, thanks, thanks, Nick. You just threw us, threw us a Yeah. <laughs> well, it, but, but the, you know, the, the risk is if they're not thinking Absolutely. about these things early, Absolutely. Like we, in, 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 you know, in good conscience, we can't let these guys carry on without flagging mm -hmm. these. And, and look, they might be a little bit disappointing things to hear mm -hmm. for some folks early on, but you've got to know you've got to know, uh, you know, where you stand from a regulatory and legal perspective, mm -hmm. because that's fines or jail time. I don't think anyone wants that. So, so that's the earlier stage projects. And then with later stage projects for bigger businesses, they tend to get very specific in the need. Um, so we're talking to a, a, a big group in Dubai at the moment who are doing a 
25 million US equity raise and a 5 million token raise, and they need some tokenomics help. And they're very, very clear on what they need and mm-hmm. what they want from us. And we're going through, quite rightly, we're going through a beauty parade process to, to get that mandate. So, because they need to be sure of, of who they're engaging with. So mm-hmm. the more mature the business gets, the more specific and um, siloed the work tends to get mm-hmm. that we're being asked for because they've got more internal resource themselves. The earlier stage of project, it tends to get a bit more general and a bit more sort of uh, woolly as to where the the work stops and ends. And there's a uh-huh. bit more risk for, for you know, uh, scope creep, I think, with uh-huh. the early stage business. Yeah. But that's fine. You know, we, we above all, we want to be a energetic, friendly, empathetic and knowledgeable group of people to help. Mm. Um, uh, because there's quite a few of the big advisory shops who really only partly know mm-hmm. what, what they're looking at in this space or some who who know absolutely nothing. Mm-hmm. It's always the best uh, either capital or support to or partnership to to forge early with these. Um, you know, studios is one word for it, but there's lots of uh, different variations of that venture development, um, which is is super valuable um, just for new founders also coming in to understand the the, the building process um and obviously you know take a few things off off their plate but i think uh, more importantly as you raised around the regulatory implications um it's it's not something that everyone wants to think about straight away but um certainly from a taking a long-term perspective as to what it's going to take to build something you know compliant and viable um outside of you know it being something that the customers are going to to want and value um as uh, you know, not centralized and OzDefi kind of gives you the, the best seats in the house, if you will, to a lot of the, you know, emerging projects. Um, I'd love to hear where, where you think kind of the, some of the biggest changes in what you're seeing in, in what people are, what people are building um, and, and probably also how people are, are shifting from a sort of a cultural perspective Um Tell us more about just what you're seeing more broadly across across the the Web three space. Uh, certainly, it's a good a good angle because things have shifted a fair bit. I mean, we can't ignore the fact that Web three and crypto more generally has turned into quite a risk on correlated asset class with with traditional assets, traditional you know VC for example, or, or uh, you know more highly volatile listed tech equity and i think in part that's because we're seeing some more traditional or institutional money becoming involved in the sector and that's both a good thing and a bad thing it's a good thing because it is the first stage in becoming a bit more mass market adopted when you get bigger institutions taking interest in some of the more prominent liquid cryptocurrencies but it's bad in the sense that you you sort of regress a little initially because then you get back to this very highly correlated price action along with other risk asset classes and so mm. the diversification angle you know you, it's very hard now based on the last 24 months of price action to really pitch any cryptocurrency as being a a clear diversifier against traditional um you know risk assets like vc or, or even listed equity it's just a more volatile version thereof mm. so that's yeah that's less than ideal i think as as the market matures further and as the space fills out further i think you will see that correlation uh, reduce a little. Um, I think it's still going to be positive for a long time, but you, you certainly maybe the beta will reduce a fair bit um, over the next few years. If we look at then what people are actually doing and what they're up to and what they're building, we had this flurry of activity in NFT 
very much sort of me too NFT projects for a good 12 to 18 months um, after the early success of CryptoPunks and, and um, you know, uh, um, crypto voxels and, uh, and even some of the, some of the art blocks type um, uh, success stories. So we had a whole phase of those sorts of projects where, you know, the promise was, look, you buy this one of 10,000 or one of 8,000 PFP and we'll have a really fun Discord and then we'll have some member benefits and, you know, fine. But not really hardly any of those have proven to be sustainable mm. in, in a material way. I mean, obviously, apes and punks, yes, you know, definitely. Um, uh, doodles, you know, there's, there are, there's definitely exceptions that prove that rule. But I think the vast majority of these projects, despite all the best efforts of founders and all the best efforts of the artists involved, the community mm. builders involved, um, you know, they're extremely hard to to get to work outside mm -hmm. of a bullish market. So when you've not got new capital coming in to replace the early holders, how do those projects really um, demonstrate sustainable mm -hmm. value? Which gets me on to then what we have seen more recently, which I think is encouraging, where some of the more patient chains, uh, layer ones, for example, that have been building for enterprise applications. I'm thinking Algorand. I'm thinking you know Hedera. Those sorts of chains. Um, they're getting to the phase now where they've spent quite a few years patiently building capability and scalability. And you're starting to see these big commercial use cases, mm -hmm. these sort of enterprise grade use cases start to come to fruition now. Again, there'll be most will fail because that's just the, you know, that's the, the law of the jungle. But there are some really interesting big use cases, um, you know, digitized bank guarantees, digitized, uh, you know, e-bills of lading, um, you know, property transactions, fractionalized property transactions. Um, Hedera is a good example where they're working an awful lot on carbon and sustainability uh, mm -hmm. related tokenization. And so once we start seeing more of these use cases where Web2 companies and, and, and TradFi entities look at them and go, ah, oh, I understand that now. Mm -hmm. Okay. I didn't get why people were paying two million bucks for a, you know pictures of a punk but i do get the idea that if i can fractionalize real estate and unlock some liquidity from an illiquid asset class yeah that's really mm -hmm. interesting tell you know tell me more so we're getting to that point now where some of the you know great client we've got uh who's going through a raise at the moment um where they are it's a drive to earn um uh, uh, uh app that that encourages safer driving and you earn rewards and those mm -hmm. on the roadmap, those rewards ultimately will be tokenized. It's a little bit like Sweatcoin. Um, it's not It's not quite like Steppen. It's more like Sweatcoin than Steppen. But, you know, so they're, they're really good examples where you can see mm -hmm. a social benefit. You know, mm -hmm. uh, they're already seeing improved, um, improved driver safety on the app from the mm -hmm. people who are involved mm -hmm. in it. So the more tangible real world examples, the more commerce starts crossing over into mm -hmm. a web two and a half hybrid, then the, the, the more the adoption curve yeah. keeps getting pushed out, I think. Do you, that makes total sense. Do you have uh, any insight as to the adoption of these more kind of social applications that are a little bit easier for mainstream to, to understand? Um, I think it comes down to a couple of things, really. I think the easiest, the, the analogy I use all the time, which is getting a bit tired now for anyone that knows me, but I'll use it again anyway. When you go to um, you go to a coffee shop, what, why do you go to a coffee shop? You go to a coffee shop because they've either got the beans that you like and they know you because you go past it every morning and it's convenient. 
they do a funky little heart on the top that you really like, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. You don't go into the coffee shop and say, oh, guys, what electricity do you use in your machine? Or you don't say, yeah, what, what type of water are you putting in the top of the coffee machine? Like, you don't care. Mm-hmm. So what you, what you want is the end result. You want the experience, mm-hmm. which is a nice coffee. So the, I use that analogy because really, as soon as um, consumers are thinking about their end experience and, and what they get out of the product, and they're less talking about, oh, wow, here's a new layer one. Um, then, then you're getting a lot closer to that point where consumers can engage with this ecosystem more effectively. And the, the client I just mentioned is a good example where they have a really, they've built a really nice mobile app, works on iOS and Android. You'd have no idea that there is a chain underneath mm-hmm. there somewhere. Absolutely no idea. Another client of ours who's building in the enterprise space um, with digitized bank guarantees and, and, and other financial contracts you don't you really don't need to know that there is a dlt under there mm-hmm. uh you re- you really don't need to know that they're technically nfts each time <laughs> one of these contracts is entered um they, so they just want to yeah. know you know what what problem is it solving for me that's all they want to know so you're suggesting a future where um the use of this blockchain technology may not actually be known to the end user absolutely 100 and i think I think almost by definition, mass adoption has to have that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you, you think about how we engage with things that we use every day. Think about the iPhone. We're doing, mm-hmm. I'm doing this call on an iPhone. You're probably doing it on a computer, but I'm doing it on my iPhone. There's loads of open source software on my iPhone. Do I know about it all? No, mm-hmm. I haven't got a clue. Mm-hmm. There's all sorts of stuff running on there. I just want my phone to work as a phone. So whether it's gaming, whether it's, you know, um, uh, sort of digitized loyalty points, whether it's DeFi, you know, you're engaging in, there's a, there's a really interesting platform um, called uh, MetalPay from a group called Metallicus in Europe. Mm-hmm. And that is a, that is a parallel uh, traditional Web2 fiat bank account in parallel with a Web3 uh, crypto bank account. You really would not know the difference. Mm-hmm. It's, 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 it's one interface to the customer it's built on compliant banking rails mm-hmm. uh, and and yet you look at your account you have a crypto account and a fiat account they look and smell exactly the same mm-hmm. it's just the little the little um you know letters for the currency are different oh. instead of it being swiss francs and euros it's like you know dollars sterling eth and bitcoin mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah. so once you're at that point i think where it's extremely easy you get a web to ease of experience um and the interoperability is such that you can you can use and interact with this without mm-hmm. having to make a compromise mm-hmm. then i think you're at the the, the mass market adoption point. yeah that's such a concise way of of thinking about it um i'd like to uh, end our chat on on the topic of community um obviously oz defi you've done a, a stellar job in in rallying different members of the community um but i understand you're also sort of extending across internationally T- tell us more about some of those conversations you're having um and why you think it's important to maintain that open dialogue with other web3 communities yeah, certainly. So look, the Martians have been brilliant. No, I'm only joking. Um, the, well, who knows? I mean, let's speak to Elon. But um, the so what we found is that there's these pockets of um, there's pockets of groups of people that are not dissimilar to the Oz DeFi origin story, which are you know passionate people who are, who are interested in technology, who have open minds, um, and that they're you know they're present all over the place. And so we've been talking to Tokyo, a fairly big group in Tokyo we've been talking to Seoul DeFi in in Seoul in Korea 
Um, we've had some great conversations with some pockets of of communities in uh, in the UK, in London, especially. I mean, London. I was there about a month ago, mm. and I'd, I, I'd come through Thailand. Now, Thailand as well has got a really vibrant um, crypto community. It's much more overt in Thailand than it is in Australia, which is interesting. So you you come from the airport in um, in Bangkok into into town, and there's billboards for Bitcoin miners, for NFT gaming platforms, nice. for, for DeFi yield generating platforms. Mm -hmm. You know, we've got a huge exchange, BitCub, that, that that is very prevalent in Thailand. But then also in London, you've got these pockets of developers, pockets of um, of very big VCs, traditional VCs, you know, 40, 50 year old VCs who've now stood up dedicated Web3 strategies and seeded them, you know, with 200 million quid or, you know, 150 million euros, things like that. Now, if that was in Australia, that would be a huge mm. Web3 fund, mm -hmm. massive. Mm -hmm. But they're really just tiny sleeves off the back of these really big storied 50 year old VC firms. So mm. tapping into those pockets has been quite interesting and cross-referencing, you know, different people a lot of people still haven't traveled overseas since COVID. So being able to to talk with people in different countries is quite liberating. So yeah, I think in an ideal world, we would kind of graft these little pockets of people all around the world. And we'd have Planetary DeFi Association, which um, I think that web address was still available. Oh no, I think we might have bought it now actually. Um, so anyone who's listening to this, don't go and front run us please, but I think we've bought it now. But, um, but yeah, so that's just a really, really interesting conversation. Be able to compare and contrast speak mm. to different funds speak to different founders that's where the value for me is is in is in the um you know hearing different stories mm -hmm. and comparing contrasting data points from around the world with yeah. what we what we'd see here in australia yeah is there anything that stands out as being you know d different like vastly different or vastly similar um i think Similar is that the biggest institutions are moving very slowly and still need a huge amount of education and handholding, which sounds really, really patronizing. But I mean that in the, you know, they're all busy. They're established mm -hmm. big institutions and they've been doing things the same way for decades. So, of course, they need, you know, that's not meant to be disparaging or patronizing. It's just a fact. Um, I think what is different, though, you do have certainly what I found in London uh, and even in Thailand, you've got some very, very active, dedicated Web3 street sleeves in VC firms that are, have really been given a remit to do their own thing. They're not being in any way constrained or held back by a single IC that sits over the top of them. They're really being liberated to go and plow their own furrow. And that work has been given to young, uh, technologically savvy either former builders or still current builders have been given that 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 remit to go and run with that and go and explore and, mm -hmm. and go really early as much as we love australia there are you know that yes there are some big vcs who are in web3 not many mm. um and, and in general in australian vc i think we tend to be not as uh risk tolerant in the mm -hmm. early stage of a business as maybe you'd see in 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 you know europe or the us it is what it is um and that's why I think we'll continue to see European, US and uh, and Asian VCs on cap tables for mm. for the bigger Web3 plays that come out of Australia. But, it, you know, for a global asset class, then maybe that's a that's a good thing anyway. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. Thank you for that. Final question, Nick, as a community guy, what does community mean to you? Yeah, community for me means energy. So. I'm a fairly natural extrovert, so I do get energized after we do our in real life events. I absolutely love them to bits. It's my favorite part of the month. And they're all 
circled on the calendar. I really, really look forward, really look forward to them. And I think that's what Mark Arturo and I get a huge kick out of is just being out there, you know, flying by the seat of your pants, talking to people, entertaining, cracking jokes, being a little bit DJ a bit rude, a bit cheeky. Uh, it's really, really Authentic. energizing. Yeah, it, no, but it's just super, super fun. And so I don't really think I've grown up since I was 21. And <laughs> I do, for community in this space means that I can bring my real self to work mm. and I can bring my real self to these events. Whereas in my old Tradfire lens, that was a tempered me. It was a, it was a uh, closeted, closeted inverted commas, uh, me that I brought to work um, it wasn't the real me whereas in this community I can bring the, the real me to to work to events and to um, podcasts mm. like this it's beautiful it's uh time and time again I hear how web3 allows us to be our authentic selves and and fully show up and I think um, it's it's such an important um, aspect of self-discovery um, and also the source of even better energy and inspiration and ideas. So um, kudos to you for, for your efforts around the Odds DeFi community. Thank you so much for joining me today. Hope everyone enjoyed this episode. Uh, we'll catch you next time. Thanks, Nick. Thank you so much. Thank you. See you later.